Podcastle episode 147 for March 8th, 2011. Card Sharp by Raj and Kana. Rated PG. Hello and welcome to Podcastle. I'm your host and co-editor Dave Thompson and I have to admit, I'm not much of a gambler but there is something pretty thrilling about letting the chips fall where they may. I've never really been tempted to gamble for money. M&Ms are more my speed, but for as long as I can remember, I've loved playing card games. The first one I can remember playing, yes, even before Uno, was War. For anyone out there who doesn't know, it's a game that requires absolutely no skill, only luck. You split the deck into as many piles as there are players, draw from the top of the pile, and the highest card takes all. Like I said, dumb blind luck. But boy, was it fun as a kid. And I don't think I'm alone in my love for card games. Whether we're talking about blackjack, poker, uno, tarot cards, or magic the gathering, there's something magical about cards. In fiction, I'd hazard a guess at saying there's something special about the gambler archetype too. Maybe because like gambling, you never know if you're going to win or lose with these characters. They always keep you guessing. This week, Podcastle's proud to present Card Sharp by Raj and Kana. It originally appeared in John Joseph Adams' anthology, The Way of the Wizard. Oh, and speaking of our dear John Joseph Adams, who as of this month is not only editing the amazing Lightspeed magazine, but also Fantasy magazine, you, my friends, absolutely seriously need to check out the Fantasy magazine podcast. You just might find a familiar story there. Rajan Khanna lives in New York, is a member of the Altered Fluid Writers Group, and is a graduate of Clarion West Writers Workshop, 2008. You may recognize Rajan as one of our popular narrators here at Podcastle. Most recently, he read The Narcomancer and Hooves in the Hovel of Abdel Jamila. The story is read for you by my friend, the devilishly charming, ever-smooth-talking Wilson Fawley, who when not busy with his family, or school, or narrating a story for us at Podcastle, conducts a local amateur show choir in Vancouver called the Maple Leaf Singers, which you can find online at maple-leaf-singers.com. So, place your bets, ladies and gentlemen. You've got one deck, an ace up your sleeve, the jokers are wild, and we're playing for blood. Enjoy the story. Card Sharp by Rajan Khanna. By the time Quentin reached the Ketterly River boat, he was down to 37 cards, not counting the two jokers. He ran his index finger along the edge of the deck, tucked securely in his waistcoat pocket. He was unarmed, not the kind of man who ever felt comfortable with a pistol, though he had once regularly carried a knife on his hip. Back then, his playing cards had been as disposable as everything else in his life, his women, his possessions, his inheritance but he mourned the loss of each of these cards. Eight had been lost to his training, the twos and the threes. He lost two during the trouble in Masula when he'd been caught with that ace, a normal ace, mind you, up his sleeve. Another went escaping a mudslide, and in Odessa, Texas, he'd lost three fending off thieves. But that had been all prelude to this, the river boat. He reached into his pocket and withdrew the seven of diamonds, the card flared like phosphorus in his hand, then disappeared in a wisp of smoke. He felt an ephemeral film coat his body. 
He moved from his hiding place behind some trees and moved down the walkway and to the ramp leading up to the riverboat. He could feel the stares of the riverboat guards on him, even though he knew they could not see him. Using the Seven of Diamonds might have been overkill, but better safe than sorry. Still, his neck hair prickled at the idea that at the moment their rifles could be trained on him, preparing to fire. He made for a small washroom near the center of the main deck. As he approached it, the riverboat's great paddle wheel began to move, churning the water in a great roar. With a lurch, the riverboat began to move, taking Roland Ketterly and his men down the Mississippi. Quentin slipped through the washroom door, taking care to close it quietly and minimize his noise. Whatever concealment the first card had provided was visual alone. He drew the next two cards in his pocket. They were at the front exactly how he'd arranged them. He removed the Jack of Diamonds and the Jack of Hearts, cupping them in his hands as if in a card game. It pained him to have to play two face cards, especially a heart that could be used for healing, but he needed to ensure that the card he played had enough power to hold and convince the boat's occupants. Quentin threw down the pair of jacks. He stifled a moan as his face seemed to turn to wax. The diamond alone would have given him the disguise he wanted, but that wouldn't have fooled anyone, especially with his voice and manner of walking unchanged. The heart ensured the change was physiological, and though it disgusted Quentin to assume that hateful form, it was his best chance to move freely aboard the riverboat. When the transformation was completed, he looked into the mirror, noting how eerily alike he looked to Roland Ketterly, the man he had come to kill. Quentin could still remember the hands he'd played in that game in Tombstone. He had been having a glorious ride, the majority of the table's chips arranged in a jagged mass in front of him. The old man he was playing against, however, was clearly irritated, and with each hand, and each lost ridge of chips from the once great reef in front of him, his bitter scowl deepened. Feeling flushed from his winnings and surrounded by ladies, Quentin had started showing off, demonstrating his ledger domain with the cards and chips, making them dart and dance and disappear. With each trick, the women cooed and leaned closer. With every flourish, the old man's displeasure grew. In the end, he had taken almost everything. He packed away his winnings and retired to his room, leaving it unlocked should any of the ladies wish to join him. The old man, however, appeared uninvited. "'What do you want?' Quentin said, thinking of the knife that now rested next to the room's wash basin. "'I need that money,' the old man said. "'I want it fair. I know. But I can offer you something for it. Something more important. Something more valuable.' "'What's more valuable than money?' The old man flashed a smile. "'Power.' Quentin kept his gait regular and his senses alert as he climbed the riverboat's stairs to the upper decks. He'd long ago realized that anxiety and panic could be bigger threats than anything external. He'd managed to overcome them in card games and sleight of hand, but this, this was still relatively new to him. The chatter from the crew below was swallowed by the roar of the paddle wheel. The sickly sweet mushroom smell of the Mississippi filled the air. On the staircase, he passed a member of the riverboat's crew heading down. The man tipped his hat to him. Quentin grunted back in Roland's voice, the way he'd seen Roland do many times before. His heart beat faster in his chest. The man continued on his way, paying him no mind. 
He thought of Roland on the highest deck in his private rooms. The rest of the riverboat was given over to business, to passengers or cargo, traditional operations. But the top of the boat was Roland's domain. It was from there he ran his empire, the empire that had once belonged to Quentin's father. Between shuddering breaths, he reached the top deck, one hand on the polished wooden banister, the other, fingers outstretched, hovering over his waistcoat pocket. A man came out of one of the rooms, bearded, wearing a white coat. "'Ah, there you are, Mr. Ketterly,' he said. "'I wonder if you could come with me for a moment?' Quentin could hear his pulse pound in his ears. "'I'm in a hurry,' he said in Roland's voice. "'Please,' the man said. "'It's your wife.' At this, a river of ice flooded his blood. "'Very well,' he said, and followed the man into one of the rooms. And there, on a bed, covered in blankets, her face damp and drawn, lay Quentin's mother. "'It's a very old tradition,' the old man said, "'as old as the cards.' "'But why cards?' Quentin asked. "'Because you need a way to focus the energy, a way to shape it. "'I guess some people use words written down on paper. "'We use the cards. "'They work well.' Numbers and symbols all tied up together. And they're portable, light. They travel well. I guess that makes a kind of sense, Quentin said. There are two main things you need to know, the old man said. The suit of the card determines the effect. So hearts are good for anything involving the body. Diamonds are good for things involving money and ways to fool the eye, and so forth. The number of the card determines the size or power of the effect. The higher the number, the more powerful the effect will be. Quentin frowned. Then why not just use the highest cards all the time? The old man gave a wicked grin. Oh, didn't I mention that already? Because you can only use each card once. What? That's right. Each card is one time only. Once you burn through your deck, you're done. Quentin sank into a wooden chair. Well, that takes some of the fun out of it, he said. Don't it just? How do you know what number to use then? Ah, you see, that's the trick, the old man said, holding up his index finger. It's a kind of gamble. You just have to lay it all out there and hope that you figured right. You'll get a feel for it after a while. But by then I'll have lost those cards. That's the truth of it, yes. Quentin flipped through the cards of the deck in front of him. What about the jokers, he asked. Do those count too? Of course they do, the old man said, smiling wider, his face shining. The jokers are wild. Quentin stared at his mother, pained by the way she drew in shallow breaths, by the wispiness of her. She used to be so solid. But that was back when she was married to his father, before she had taken up with Roland Ketterly. He reached for her dry and thin hand and held it. How is she doing? he asked the doctor. Frankly, not good, the doctor said, wiping his forehead with one of his sleeves. Her illness is progressing. She falls in and out of lucidity. There's not much I can do except keep giving her the morphine. Quentin held back tears. He wouldn't cry for her now, not with Roland's eyes. He acutely felt the weight of the cards in his pocket. He flipped through them until he found the card he wanted. He pulled the Queen of Hearts and held it between shaking fingers. The card would heal her. He pinched it tight. One thought and it would come to life. One thought... The card vibrated, but did not burn. At last he tucked it back into his pocket. He was here, on Roland's doorstep. That card might be the difference between him winning or dying. And she had stayed with Roland, after all. 
He turned away from her, letting her hand drop. Do what you can, he told the doctor, then left to find Roland. He would wash away his guilt in blood and fire. Quentin wiped the sweat from his forehead. He had just played his first card, throwing the two of clubs, creating a small flame and making it dance in the air before him. How do you know which number to use? How do you know how long the play will last or if it will do what you want it to do? You don't, the old man said, shaking his head. They're cards. It's all a gamble. Sometimes it's a bluff. But as with everything else, you learn to feel out the cards and you'll get better at all of that. The old man held up another card, the two of diamonds, in his arthritic hands. Now, another one. Quentin took it, still unsure of the old man and his motives. He still didn't know the man's name, not after two weeks of training, of poring over books and flipping through cards and learning the histories and associations of them all. The man had said to call him Hoyle, though Quentin doubted that was his real name. Quentin looked at his nearly but not quite full deck, face down on the table. The maroon backs bore the image of a circle or wheel. He had started with fifty-four. Now he was down to fifty-three. He looked at the old man. How many, he said. What? How many cards do you have left? The old man blinked and lowered his eyes. Only five. Quentin saw the regret, the loss in the old man's eyes, but he pushed that aside. He had almost a full deck, and when he was finished learning how to use them, he would go after Roland. Yet, as he lifted the next card, he winced as he willed it to life, knowing that it would forever be lost to him thereafter. Diamonds was the suit of illusion, of trickery, and Quentin conjured up an image of the old man as if it had stepped from a mirror to stand next to him. But despite his concentration, the image never took on lifelike proportions. It appeared, hazy and flat, indistinct, a ghost and nothing more. What happened? he asked. You tried for something beyond the value of the card, the old man said. Even as he spoke, the image faded away to nothingness. This is horse shit, Quentin said. I just wasted a card. I don't see why I have to keep doing this. That's precisely why you need to get the feel for the cards. There are those who don't practice. They go out with full decks, don't want to waste none. They always get smoked sooner or later. They don't have the feel for the cards. You gotta learn to judge. You don't just sit down at a card game and start bluffing seasoned players before you know the game, do you? You have to learn how to order them in the deck, know what to draw and when to draw it. Hell, we haven't even talked about combining cards yet. Quentin sighed, but he could see the old man's point. All of this was preparation. The practice would be worth it because it would give him Roland. What about the Jokers, though? Can you feel them out? Hoyle shrugged. They're unpredictable. No suit, no value. We call the red one the magician. The black ones, the fool. Quentin was becoming used to the names some cards had. The death card for the ace of spades, the laughing boy for the jack of diamonds, the false king, the king of hearts. If I were you, I'd put them jokers somewhere out of the way where they can't muck things up for you. I keep mine tucked into my boots, one on my left, one on my right. They're there if you need them, but me, I don't trust anything I can't predict. And you can predict me? Maybe not in a card game, Hoyle said, but in everything else, you're a bull seeing red. Ain't nothing to predict. He held up the next card. 
Quentin headed for the inner rooms of the upper level where he knew Roland would be. He ignored the riverboat crew striding forward with purpose. He reached for the door to the inner rooms, pulled it open, and stared into the face of Roland Ketterly. They looked at each other for a moment, both surprised. Then, as Quentin reached for a card, Roland yelled and ducked behind the wall. Men, heavily armed, appeared behind him. Quentin ducked behind the wall, away from the door, and fished in his pocket for another card. Fingers trembling, he pulled out the nine of spades and visualized the shield taking shape around him. Moments later, a hail of bullets bounced off of it, and Quentin exhaled. He could barely see through the gunsmoke and muzzle flare, but he pulled cards from his pocket, spades and clubs, diamonds and hearts, each one sparking to life before it felled one of the men. He used all of the meanings he could call up, all of the effects he had practiced, fire for clubs, earth for diamonds, water for hearts, air for spades, and then the other meanings, spades for offense, hearts to affect the body, card after card after card. With each one, another man fell, but not the right man, not Roland Ketterly, not Quentin's uncle. Quentin stood by the old man's bed and mopped perspiration from his brow with a cloth. I need you to do something for me, Hoyle said. Quentin had been expecting that. The old man was going to ask him to use one of his hearts. He'd thought long and hard on that and decided that it was worth it. The old man had given him the deck, after all. Go on. I have a son. One I haven't seen in a while. We're not... We're not close. This kind of life don't lend itself well to family. You want me to give him some money? The old man shook his head. I've been giving him money. That's what I needed it for in the first place. No, I want you to give him his own cards. What? I don't want him to have the life that I did. Boy's in a spot of trouble comes from not having anyone around to teach him, but they can help him. You can show him how. But I don't even know how to make the deck, Quentin said. I made it already, Hoyle said. You just have to give it to him and show him how it works. Hoyle, please, I haven't been able to face him. Not after all that's happened. But you can. You can give him all I have left to give. Please, say you'll do it. Quentin thought about his own father, and about all the trouble he'd gotten into running away from the family business. He would give anything for a connection to the man, something passed down that wasn't a stake in the family empire, something that didn't stink of Roland. Okay, I'll do it. But you needn't die. I have cards. I can help fix you up. Hoyle shook his head. I'd done that before. Fixed myself up so much I've outlived my life. Only I'm all dried up now, worn out. It's time for me to go. Do what I asked, he said. Please. Later, after Quentin had said goodbye, he'd taken the new deck of cards, so full and fresh, and placed them in his case. They wouldn't work for him, he knew that, but he would try to pass them on. But first, there would be a reckoning. The smell of smoke and gunpowder filled Quentin's nostrils. Bodies littered the floor, but his attention was fixed on the door at the end of the hall where Roland had fled. The deck felt thin between his fingers as he drew the next card, but he was close to Roland. That had to be worth the loss of the cards. 
He flexed the card between his fingers, then walked up to the door and kicked it open. He felt a thrill as the impact ran up his shin and thigh. He paused for a moment. Nothing. Then he caught a glimpse of a large form through the door. The card burned away in his hand and six glittering blades flew through the air. He felt the smile curl his lips as he moved forward. But the man, tall and corpulent, still stood, and it was his turn to smile, playing cards fanned out in his hands. Quentin reached for another card, for one that was higher. In duels, the high card won. He pulled out the Queen of Hearts, a potent card, but then he remembered his mother and hesitated. A card flashed in the fat man's hand. Invisible fists pushed at Quentin until his back slammed against the wall of the room, and he couldn't move. He couldn't reach his cards. The fat man moved forward. Behind him, Roland sat in a chair, one leg crossed over the other. "'You have your own cards,' Quentin said. The other card-sharp smiled. "'You think you're the only one?' Quentin gritted his teeth. "'Course my deck is a bit thinner than it used to be,' the fat man said. "'That's the rub, ain't it? The more you use it, the shorter it gets. It's a good thing cocks ain't like that.' He smiled again, and Quentin longed to punch the man's yellowed teeth in. Quentin flexed at his invisible bonds, but they didn't give. The fat man withdrew a partially smoked cigar from his pocket and lit it with a brass lighter, puffing on the end until it glowed red. He's all yours, Ketterly. Roland stepped forward until he was just a few paces before Quentin. He had aged some, was a little thinner, but he still stood rod straight. So you came for me, Roland said. I have to admit, I didn't think you had it in you. I figured you to be as toothless as your father. Better toothless than fanged. Well, Roland said, we know which your mother preferred. Quentin snarled and tried to move. She may have swallowed your lies, but I didn't. Roland's eyes widened. Such fire. You really are a changed man. But you failed. I made short work of your men, Quentin said. Men are replaceable. He smiled, showing all of his teeth. Quentin reflexively tried to curl his hands into fists and was thwarted by the fat man's play, but this time the tips of his fingers wavered in the air. Quentin blinked. Was the play weakening? If the fat man had only a limited deck, then maybe the power of his cards was limited, or maybe he misjudged. You bought yourself some time, is all, Quentin said. I will kill you. Ha, huh, Roland said. You believe that, don't you? You are caught, like a fish floundering in a bucket and my earlier generosity is all dried up. Soon Lacroix here will kill you and nothing will change. Your mama already considers you dead. All I can say is you had your chance. I was happy to let you leave, have a life, find your own happiness, but you couldn't let go, could you? Roland walked away, then turned back. You know, I said that you took after your father before, and maybe you do when you're blundering. But I was thinking that if your father had the power you had, the, the magic, he wouldn't have spent it on blood, on violence. He would have tried to help people, used it for one of his saintly pursuits. He stepped forward and cupped Quentin's face. Quentin couldn't flinch away. No, Quentin. The truth is, in that respect at least, you're more like me. Quentin wanted to scream, to grab Roland and claw his eyes out, but the play held him tight, all except for his fingers, which he could now wiggle just a little longer. Roland smiled serenely. 
I think it's time to say goodbye now, Quentin. He slapped Quentin's cheek. Say hello to my brother for me. He stepped away and drew a pistol from his belt. Quentin could now move his whole fingers and part of his hand. Roland cocked back the hammer. Quentin's wrist flexed, and the ace up his sleeve flipped into his hand. Clubs, the suit of fire. As it flared to life, so did Lacroix, catching fire like a sheaf of kindling. The fat man's cards held tight and his hands fluttered to the floor. Lacroix screamed, and Quentin felt the force holding him drop away. Roland fired, but Quentin was already moving, skirting the burning man, the card in his right sleeve, the ace of spades, falling into his hand. The gun flashed again, and burning streaks of pain speared through Quentin as the air filled with thunder. He fell backward into the floor, the ace falling from his hand as the world fragmented and blurred. Roland stepped on the card, then bent over him and pulled the rest of the deck from his vest. He tossed them behind him. I didn't think you'd get the drop on Lacroix, he said, but it didn't help you in the end. Quentin clutched at his wounds. He had none of the cards in his waistcoat and had lost the two he'd had up his sleeves. Roland raised the pistol. You fool. Memory flared as brightly as one of the cards. Quentin reached for the card clipped into his right boot, the black joker. The fool. He pulled it out. Roland's finger jerked back on the trigger. The card flared in front of him, dazzling his eyes. The sound of the world cracking reverberated in his ears, and the moment passed. Quentin was unharmed. The joker remained in his hand, but the bullet lay in two pieces, cut in two by the card. Quentin batted the pistol away and punched Roland in the groin. As his uncle reeled, Quentin reached for the card still lying on the ground, the ace of spades. The card blazed in his hand. Quentin sat in the sleeper car, looking at the road ahead. In his left waistcoat pocket was his deck, or what was left of it, twenty-something. After all of the cards he had used at the hotel, he'd been forced to use another, the Seven of Hearts, to heal his gunshot wounds, then the Queen of Hearts on his mother. He didn't know if it would work, if the magic was that strong, but he left her in the doctor's care. He couldn't face her after everything he'd done. His reason for learning how to use the cards was now gone. Half of them had been spent on justice, but he still had the other half left. All the way from the hotel, Roland's words had echoed in his head about his father and how he would have used the cards, and how right that was. But first he had a promise to keep, a new card shop to bring into the fold. Maybe he would choose the right path. Quentin had played the fool, and luck had carried him through. Now was his time to make a new play. Now he would be the magician. And welcome back. Wow, awesome system of magic, huh? like it was written for gamers. So, fess up, gamers. How bad do all of you want a deck of cards like that in your pocket? Now, how many of you promise to use your cards for the power of good? You get to make your own luck in the end. You're going to be the magician, or the fool, or both. So, what's your play? Alright, let's switch gears and head over to feedback for Robert T. Jashonik's The Bear in the Cable Knit Sweater. Read by Cheyenne Wright. The story of rebellion, bears, and more bears. 
It certainly there was a sweater involved, but we know beyond the shadow of a doubt there were definitely tutus. So, let's see what you all thought about it, shall we? Electric Paladin said, What. The. Hell. I love this story, but man, what the. What? This story was one brilliant, beautiful, and bold and bear-like pile of weapons-grade nonsense. I loved it. I had a rough day on the job, and a little nonsense is exactly what I needed. Actually, I think a lot of people had a similar reaction. That's not to say all of them enjoyed it, though. Reed said, I did like the strangeness, but I have to say that the story itself felt thin. Especially the part in the fairy world followed a very simple pattern and delivered its message very heavy-handedly. Well, whether people ended up liking the story or not, it seemed pretty much everyone dug Cheyenne Wright's narration. Littervan66 went as far as to call it inspired. Thanks to everyone who took the time to comment on the story. We really dig reading all the feedback. Come on over to our forum at forum.escapeartist.net. Let us know what you thought of this week's story and be the king under the mountain for the day. If you like this story or want to support PodCastle in general, please consider visiting podcastle.org to make a donation. Every single dollar is greatly appreciated. It goes to keeping our authors paid, and we thank you very much for it. Little uh, dealer's tip, though. We've got something totally kick-ass in the works as a thank you for the people signed up for our 5 or $10 a month subscriptions. I can't say much more about it now, but I will very, very soon. That's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for letting all of us at PodCastle share another story with you. We'll be back next time when Ken Liu delivers a life-affirming state change. Until then, we at PodCastle would like to know, do you feel lucky? Because all the bets are off and you've got one deck to make it all play. See you in a week. PodCastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Jeanette Winterson said, Gambling is not a vice. It is an expression of our humanness. We gamble. Some do it at the gaming table, some do not. You play, you win. You play, you lose. You play.